What's your story? Whether you're a client or an independent financial advisor, we know you face many important decisions that can affect your and your clients' long-term financial success. Welcome to the WIN Podcast. What's important now with Corey Hymanson, accredited investment fiduciary and president of Hymanson Wealth Advisors. In this podcast, Corey helps you identify your goals and objectives through financial education and comprehensive planning, while inspiring you to make better behavioral decisions in your personal finance. With a twist on pop culture and current events, join us as we explore growth and protection strategies for individuals, advisors, and their businesses. Come and discover what's important to you now. Hello and welcome to the Win Podcast with Corey Hymanson. Corey, how are you, man? Eric, how are you doing today? I'm good. I am doing fantastic. I uh, You sent me some notes ahead of time and I was just... Some nostalgia just kind of creeped in into my brain. And I loved it. <laughs> well, you know, earlier this this summer, there was a lot of talk on uh, debt ceiling and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and in my head, I instantly go back to, you know, geez, we've had this conversation 78 times before because that's how many times they've solved this. So, I mean, history repeats itself, essentially, wow. but sometimes people fail to forget that. So I'm going back in time today. Yeah, seriously. I And you started right off with a stat that slapped me in the face. 78 times they've, they've done this debt ceiling dance? Yeah. It, it's been wow. essentially, I hate to say the word solved, but resolved, kicked down the road, and reset to a higher debt limit level. 78 times. And I think that's since World War II. Wow. You know, so there, things like that, you know, I get lots of client calls and questions and people are panicked because the media really presses on it but it's like this is very common and until they put a permanent solution in place you're going to have this about every other year uh, you know and it gets solved because the country we're the united states we're going to pay our bills you know that's how simple this all is yeah well i I think it's i think people's fear comes from knowing who the people are that are trying to solve this (laughs) yeah that's fair you know the media does play it up like you said but Yeah. All right. Enough of that debt ceiling stuff. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was really not even on our agenda of things to talk about. I just threw a warning shot out there. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I mean, that's what triggered this podcast to begin with, because you're you're talking about sudden wealth. And the example that you sent me that really made me, number one, feel a little older than maybe I am, maybe exactly how old I am, but uh, was the Beverly Hillbillies. And I just, I loved that show when I was a kid and uh, immediately the song, you know, came to mind and <laughs> I won't sing it, but. Right, right. There you go. So, so yeah, today we're titling this thing, the Clampett Connection. Okay. And, and so for, yeah, any of you youngsters out there, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies was a show back in 1962 is when it came out. So yeah, I felt a little aged as well when I read that uh, hmm. year. I didn't realize it was that long ago, but yeah. I'm assuming a lot of people are going to know what we're talking about here, but you know, I'll give a little crash course. You know, and essentially what this is is a family that lived out in the sticks of, uh, you know, I don't know if it was Kentucky or Tennessee or somewhere like that, but basically they shoot a gun, they they strike the ground, and and oil starts bubbling out, so they're suddenly rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and when you say it like that, it's like people made a show, <laughs> you know. But I mean, point of all this, this family was suddenly in over their head essentially with all this wealth. And and actually in in prepping for this, I I read somewhere that it was estimated. I don't know if they ever said it on the show, but their, their net worth suddenly became $92 million. Hmm. 
back in 1962, that was a fair pile of coin at that time. Today's dollar, that's got to be close to a billion, (laughs) right? Yeah, there you go. You know, and so this this family, uh, the father, uh, Granny, who was his mother, and then there was a daughter, and Jethro Bodine was the not so sharp nephew. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they they put together kind of a fun cast of characters, but they just up and moved to Beverly Hills. I and I don't really recall if it was just because they thought they had to because they had money. Well, or they according to the to? song, the folks there said, "Move away from there." Oh, yeah. <laughs> told Jed, "Move away from there, wherever that was, where whatever redneck location he was in." Yeah, it was it was in the song. They told him, "Move away from there." <laughs> In Beverly Hill is, is where you ought to be, right? So he loaded up the family and moved to anyway. That, that's <laughs> the how I remember it. And I remember they moved the family and they put like Granny in a rocking chair on the top of the truck or something rather. I mean, it was just this, you know, this beater of a truck that had all yep. their worldly possessions, which wasn't much because they were poor, right? Um, and they they drove this sucker from wherever they were at all the way to Beverly Hills, and and of course we know that you know. If anybody did that today, it would be the same thing where all the neighbors are looking out their windows going, oh, dear God, who are these people? <laughs> and who is that old woman strapped to the top of a truck? Wait, wait. See, you you must be able to just glance at me with this smirk on my face and know where, where my head's going because you're talking about granny strapped to the top of a vehicle. And I'm suddenly thinking of that vacation movie where grandma died <laughs> and it was yes. raining. <laughs> they didn't want to ride in the car, so they strapped her deceased body to the top of the yeah. station. Let's, let's make it clear. <laughs> Granny in this show was not dead on top of the truck. She was quite alive. And I believe she had her <laughs> shotgun with her. Um, Cause in most of every, every show, she had a double barreled shotgun with her, right. which is fantastic. Cause she was the protector of, of, of both house and virtue. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh my. You know, and, and so the show was entertaining because they were just out of their element, essentially. Oh, yeah. you know, and their personalities were amazing, right? Yeah, and, and so you got snobby neighbors all of a sudden, and you know what I mean? It, 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 there's some real-life stuff going on here, too. If, mm-hmm. if you or I suddenly moved to a glissy part of town, you know, there, there might be some of those exact same things. I don't know. but <laughs> Oh, I mean, I didn't even move to a rich neighborhood, and I had neighbors like that. My son was working <laughs> on his car in the front of our in, – in the driveway. He was working on his car in our driveway – and they came over and they were complaining. He shouldn't have the hood up of his car. It makes the neighborhood look at he's out there for 30 minutes. Quit quit looking <laughs> to find wow. something that you don't like. Yeah. It happens to everybody, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would have been nice to have ninety two million dollars at that point. I could build a big wall or a fence, you know. Yeah, there you go. Anyway. There you go. <laughs> so where my mind goes is, you know, let let's Let's dive deeper, you know, into the whole thing. And, and so sudden wealth, you okay. know, is, is what comes to my mind. And, you know, if we ran an average podcast, we would talk about lottery winners, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what an average podcaster would do. Well, Jesus, we're not going to do that, right? Because how many of us or how many listeners out there are truly going to fall into that camp, you know, of winning lottery? I mean, we understand yeah. it's suddenly a huge pile of money dumped in your lap and bad things can potentially happen. But where I'd rather go with this is something more pertinent to everybody, and that's inheritance. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not saying everybody's going to get an inheritance, but statistically, a lot of people in the United States get some kind of an inheritance at some point, whether it's from mom or dad, grandpa, grandma, aunt, uncle, you know, whomever. You know, and, and so I'd rather focus there and try to connect all this because it 
It just makes sense to me, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I, I pulled some stats here, and, and it indicates to me, this is from the New York Times, and it says that most inheritances average $50,000. And, you know, in today's world anymore, I mean, that's, that's not life-changing money. That's a average new car, you know, basically, but, mm -hmm. um, and so about half, uh, of all inheritances are 50 or less essentially. And that's about where a lot of them are and 30% range from 50,000 to a quarter of a million, 250,000. So, I mean, that, that means there's only 20% of the time is it something larger than $250,000, but point being what happens when somebody gets newfound wealth like this? The answer is a lot of them spend it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm throwing a lot of stats here, but most, and if we look at certain categories of, of age banded, uh, people, baby boomers, mm -hmm. if they inherit a hundred thousand dollars or less, typically spend it all within one year. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> you know, and, and I get it because well, I shouldn't say I get it. I, I understand it because it's so easy that it's in your lap. And suddenly you think of all these wants, they're not needs. You know, these people are not going out and buying groceries and blowing the inheritance. They're buying stuff they wanted for a long time or things that they think will make them happy. What's that? A boat, a bigger mm -hmm. boat, mm -hmm. you know, uh, fancy, fancy cars, fancy jewelry, all that stuff. And, you know, we've talked about that too. You know, stuff generally doesn't give you long-term happiness. It's experiences or it's the people around you, you know? Yeah. And, and so it just comes back to, having an understanding or, you know, I even suggest to clients if, if they inherit, take some time, just relax for a while. You know, let's put it in a T bill and, and earn four or 5% interest for a short period of time and just relax, you mm -hmm. know, and, and think about things before you suddenly just go off the deep end and, and blow it all. Yeah. You know, because Corey, out of curiosity, I don't know if you saw any of the research or if it even showed any research, but, um, do they happen to say how many of those folks paid off debts with that money? Because I think that that would be another, I, I, I say temptation in air quotes because it's not necessarily a temptation, but how many people were using it just to pay off their own current debt? And maybe some of them made, I'm not going to, we can't dive too deep into whether it was a mistake or not, but maybe they paid off a mortgage that they were, maybe they had their mortgage at 3% and they could have done more if they had taken $150,000 or $200,000 and invested it in different ways. But since they didn't speak to anybody, they just said, you know what, I'm just going to pay off everything I possibly can. Right. In reading through this study, uh, there's no specific reference to that. Yeah, yeah. But what it does say is that kind of a best case scenario from inheritance is that a lot of people in their mind think they should save half of it. Mm. <laughs> so, and, and it actually, I mean, saving half could be using half to pay down debt. Would, or using half to blow them in Vegas. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, true. because so the other half, they basically spend it a fair amount actually do donate. I find that interesting that um, some people, you know, have a focus in their life of faith and they, you know, know the tithing story of 10% of, mm -hmm. of what they have essentially. And so, you know, that that's where I see people sometimes, you know, they will take 10% and gift it, or, yeah. or I shouldn't say gift, you know, donate it to, to a charitable cause or a church or something. 
and, and I find that interesting because those are people that probably don't give 10% of their other normal income in that way. You know, I don't want to say it's a guilt thing, but I think it's a, a, a way to maybe play catch up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I also run I think I've talked about this before too. You know, sometimes I see clients and if they inherit money, they, they're afraid to blow it almost on the opposite extreme. You know what I mean? They're, they're mm -hmm. afraid to invest it. They're afraid, they're afraid to do almost anything other than burying it in a box because they feel like that's the last tangible thing that came from a loved one mm. and they don't want to lose it. They don't want to, wow. you know, run into an issue. And, and so my answer to that situation is, you know, wouldn't that, that long lost relative want you to be productive? Wouldn't they want you to enjoy the money or to do something good with it? And, and I think that helps frame the mindset and, or maybe get some closure. I'm not saying I'm a therapist here, but I mean, sometimes people just need to talk through things, think through things and, and you get better outcomes. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that. Um, now you said wouldn't long lost relative, you don't want you to do, you know, something, whatever with it. Um, and I think about, I'm, I'm not going to get a huge inheritance, right? I'm just going to be very, very straightforward and honest. My, my parents are both alive. They're on a fixed income. Um, they have done well for themselves. They, they do not need anything, which is fantastic. Um, but it's not like they've got a bunch of stuff socked away and it's not, there's not these large life insurance policies hanging out there. Um, but you know, whatever I get, I could see, I'd probably be in that 50 or less category is what I'm saying. I could see myself if let's say it was 50, just to make easy math, I could see myself thinking, you know, what would my dad want me to do with this? I'd want to make him proud with the decisions that I make. Right. So I could see that with somebody else, you know, when they get an inheritance uh, of any size thing, I don't want to let this person down by using this money to A, B, and C. So I'm just going to sit on it or I'm just going to wait and, and make a decision later. And maybe that decision doesn't come for quite a long time and they could have been doing many things with that, whether it is paying off debt or investing it in good ways. But yet it's just, I'm just going to leave it in that bank account and just let it sit there because I just don't want to make the wrong decision. So I could, I could totally see that. Right. Right. And everything in life is about being productive. I believe, you know, I, I mean, whether that's you or I getting out of bed and doing something productive, whether it's a job or charitable work or taking a grandkid fishing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so why, why shouldn't our assets be productive as well? Yeah. So there you go. There's my takeaway. I don't know. No, I love that. I think it's good. <laughs> and so, so the next thing, you know, I tie into the, the Beverly Hillbilly situation is something they call lifestyle inflation. And, and a lot of people probably have never even used these two words together. <laughs> you hmm. know? But what is it? It's, it's basically the point of, if I suddenly make more money, I kind of like nicer things. Is maybe my first interpretation of how to describe that. You know, so if I'm in, if I'm a college student and I'm skimping by eating ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese and sharing a small crowded apartment in a city with two or three other people, suddenly I graduate, I get a job and now I've actually got steady paychecks. I'm going to go out and get my own apartment, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's going to cost three times what the one was that I was dividing or, or sharing with people, but I want my own apartment. And then from there, eventually you get more money or you get another raise and you want to move to a house. I mean, and it's even 
going out to eat. It's, it's what you drink. It's what you eat. It's what you wear, the watches you buy, the shoes you wear. I mean, I can go as fast as I want and as long as I want, it's all stuff. Yeah. And once you have something that you think is nicer or cooler than the last thing that did that job <laughs> of that product, it's hard to go backwards. Right. And maybe yeah. cars, maybe cars would be a great example of that because, you know, people don't want to go backwards and drive a, a for lack of a professional term, a crappier pickup truck. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. No, it's a hundred percent. Funny thing is, is that the, I remember in the show, right. Going back to the, the Clampets, I remember that they're, I can't remember the banker's name. Uh, it slips my mind. I don't remember the show that well, apparently. Uh, but I remember the banker was always trying to encourage them to live the lifestyle of Beverly Hills. You don't have to live the old way because in many of the shows, whether it was Jethro or, or granny, they'd be, they'd be walking through the house with like a, a, a sack full of squirrels that they shot out of the trees in the Beverly Hills neighborhood, right? They're still, they're still trying to shoot their dinner. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. and, and the people around them are like, stop doing that. You know, you, you can do whatever. And so I, I think they spent lavishly on a couple different things because they were told to do so. And they're just like, ah, I was told to do this, but they were still trying to live that old lifestyle. And it's, there was definitely some conflict there. Right. And so I could, I could see that just in a, not necessarily going after squirrels, but people still trying to live that old lifestyle while also trying to adapt a new one and not knowing how to deal with it. Like, Corey, this is, again, this is taking me right back. When I was a kid, I asked my dad, my, my favorite car when I was a kid was a Ferrari Testarossa. And I said, dad, what would happen if somebody just gave you a Ferrari Testarossa? What would you do? <laughs> it used to make me so mad. He'd go, I'd sell it. <laughs> what? No, no, they gave you a Ferrari Testarossa. He goes, I'd, I'd sell it and buy a minivan. Oh, man. But he said minivan just to make me mad because he knew that would make me mad. But he'd probably buy a truck, right? He'd buy a pickup truck and he wouldn't buy a new one. And it used to drive me crazy, right? And then I had that exact, exact same conversation with my son because he, he'd asked and it wasn't a Ferrari Testarossa, but he was probably 13, 14. He's like, dad, what, what would you do if somebody gave you this Lamborghini Diablo or whatever the Lamborghini he was, he was pining over? I was like, ooh, I'd sell it. <laughs> like, what? He was just freaking out. He's like, you can't sell it. You, can, you know, I was like, son, I wouldn't be able to afford the insurance on that car. Right. right. It's the things that we don't think about. Right. Somebody, you know, they're, they're a lottery winner. They go out and buy or they get a big inheritance. They go out and buy this fancy car that now costs them four or five times their insurance on a monthly basis that they used to. So not only did that money leave their account, now they have higher bills. Right. And it's just, yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, there's so many different things to think about. I can't believe I had that flashback. That's yeah. Well, and your vehicle story, you know, sends me off on one of my famous tangents and I'm, I'm going to, Sort of do a little name dropping, even though I've never met the guy. But anyway, a buddy of mine from Omaha, Nebraska, has a buddy who works in an automotive shop. And so this is quite a few years ago, but Warren Buffett, mm -hmm. I've never met, <laughs> pulls in there with his, I believe it was a Ford Bronco, supposedly, according to the story. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But seats are all torn up inside and the air conditioner hadn't been working for like nine months. And he thought it was finally time to get the air conditioner fixed. Yeah. This is one of the richest people on the planet, you know, driving around in a, in a vehicle that probably nobody would even steal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Just to your point of, you know, he could have a Ferrari or Lamborghini and eh, whatever, don't need it. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it 
it's just where your values are, I guess, or, or what you enjoy. I don't know. Yeah. But you mentioned the banker for the hillbillies. You know, the thing that always came to my mind is he just wanted their assets in the bank. Yep. You know what I mean? He was bending over backwards for them or, you know, trying to do whatever he could to stay on their good side because he wanted that money in his bank so he could lend it out and make even more money. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he was, he was an imaginary banker on TV that acts just like real bankers. Yes. Ooh, that was kind of sharp, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> but that's what banks do. I'm not bashing on banks. They're supposed to make money. Yeah. They just make money a different way. <laughs> <laughs> Using your money. Okay. All right. We'll leave them alone now. So, yeah. So we're going a lot of directions. I get this here, but I mean, you know, if we talk about millionaires, you know, so, uh, you know, the, the Clampett family suddenly has $92 million, you know, so then you start thinking, well, what's it take to be a millionaire in our country anymore? You know, and sometimes politicians talk about the one percenters, you know, the, the top 1% of, of everybody to be a one percenter based on assets, according to my research here is that you have to have a net worth of $11 million. And hmm. only 3% of millionaires received an inheritance of a million or more. You know, so I mean, this suggestion that, oh, Joe or whatever's name over there is a millionaire because they inherited it, highly unlikely. Most millionaires didn't necessarily even earn a lot. They just didn't spend. Mm -hmm. Or they didn't have children. You know, sometimes, you know, that's... Yeah. That's a great saving mechanism. Yeah, that's the key right there. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, we joke, but I mean, it, it's a spending thing. If you save more than you spend and you invest it and you leave it alone and you're patient, you're going to accumulate a fair amount of wealth. Yeah. Yep. You know? Absolutely. And, and so, you know, if we go back to the hillbillies, you know, I keep going back to that. It's a phrase I haven't used ever in my life. But anyway... If you don't have the knowledge for a situation, then you lean on people in your circle. You know what I mean? And maybe it's not the banker who just wants your assets in, in their bank. It's, it, it's maybe a financial advisor, you know, and I'm not saying I, I should be the end all for everybody in the country. But, you know, and you mentioned it, too. Sometimes people don't think about the, the after effects of buying that fancy car. Now the insurance costs more. Sometimes people inherit money and they don't understand the tax consequences or they don't understand the ability to stretch out withdrawals of a certain type of, of, of an inheritance to spread the taxes over time or to stay in certain tax brackets. You know, we can go on and on, but it's like, if you don't know something, don't be a pretender, get help to, to coach you. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, again, we don't know what we don't know. And you hear people say it all the time. Oh, the rich, they, they always have these loopholes and blah, blah, blah. They don't pay their fair share in taxes the loopholes that people are talking about are written into the tax code. They're completely legal, right? For the most part, yep. they're completely legal. They're just utilizing the, the rules that are put in place for the game that they're playing. And they're playing at a higher level than myself. You know, I'm not wealthy by any means, but they're just playing at a higher level. And mainly because they spend the money to hire a professional that knows the code or, or the, the rules to the game and takes advantage of them. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you, you're playing within the parameters of the game, in my opinion, at least. You are, you are spot on. You know, <laughs> I, I have clients or investors, you know, that, that might have smaller nest eggs of investments. And sometimes they'll say, gee, you know, it doesn't seem like I should have to 
pay so much for management fees of, a, of an advisor. And I'll say to them, you get what you pay for. Essentially, I mean, I say it in a nicer way than that. But I mean, to your point, the richest people in our country, I will guarantee you every one of them has a professional team of advisors mm-hmm. from a tax standpoint, from an investment standpoint, from a legal standpoint. They understand. They understand the value of what they're paying for. And, and that's how you get ahead. The wealthy are wealthy for a reason, and, and they're good at keeping wealth generally. Yeah. But that's that's one of the things that you've spoken about on this podcast before is that you are kind of like the quarterback of a team that that you work with with your your clients, right? Because you have self-professed that you are not the like you said you're not the end all be all for for each person. There are things that you don't do, and if I'm not mistaken, you're not a licensed attorney. Correct. Yeah. So, but you have a deep bench of attorneys that fit the needs of the clients that you work with. So whether that's estate planning, whatever it is, you have a team in place that you can say, Hey, here's what I believe you need in your scenario, in your situation, whether they're a business owner, whether they're just, they've got a large family, they want to take care of whatever it is, they're going to need more than just you. And you have all those connections. You have that network that you take advantage of and say, hey, here's some folks I'd like to introduce you to. These are the folks that can get this done, essentially building the team for them, just like you were speaking about. Absolutely. You know, I'm not a licensed attorney. I'm not a licensed CPA doing taxes, but I sure as hell know the signs for any of these Mm -hmm. industries of when somebody needs help (laughs) or assistance in one of those categories. You know, the, the New York Jets you know, they go out and they pay $60 million or whatever the number is to Aaron Rodgers as quarterback. I'll guarantee you he's not kicking field goals. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you've got to have other members of the team to do their role to hopefully have success. And yep. that's not just the Jets. I mean, that's any athletics event, you know, so uh, spot on. You're spot on, Eric, as always. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> but again, <laughs> it's just because we've had so many podcasts together. I mean, this is... Well, this there is, you go. Um, yeah, so... What else do we need to learn about this sudden wealth stuff? Because I mean, you, you've really spoken about some of the psychological things uh, about sudden wealth and, and what that could look like. Uh, and you've spoken about some mistakes that folks have made. Um, what else have you got? Yeah. You know, I think it, I think it's important that if a person's in a situation or a family's in a situation where it appears they have enough assets or they have enough cash flow uh, to to assist them in doing whatever they want to do for the rest of their life, mm-hmm. you know, then I think it's time to, to expand the conversation. And a lot of people don't think of this, but to, to have someone like me expand the conversation where maybe they think about philanthropy or, or gifting, you know, or creating a, a system for generational wealth, you know, that as an advisor, when I'm looking someone in the eye across the table or the desk, I'm looking out for their best interests. It's all about them right there, sitting there. And then when we know that that's under control from a very, very high probability standpoint, then we look at what's next. How do we feather, you know, some of this extra because we've done such a great job of creating the cash flow machine. Okay, we've got extra. So now what do we do with that? Do we set up a way to, to pass it to the next generation? Do we, do we start gifting to charity today or gifting to family today so that you can see this money at work Or do we set up things uh, with those attorneys on trusts and things like that to to be tax smart for the future? Because sometimes people don't think about 
doing productive things with their money in a gifting standpoint while they're still alive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really cool thing to talk about. And we do a lot of these in family meetings for clients too, that let's just lay it out on the table. Nobody wants to talk about death, but you know what? It's something that's probably needing to be talked about because it's going to happen. Yeah. Let's have a plan. Let's all look each other in the eye and know that we're going to go to Thanksgiving next year and 10 years after that, after mom and dad are gone or whomever in the family tree is gone because we all still get along. Yeah. And I don't want to, it, money is the root of all evil. I mean, that's, that's an old line, right? You know, and I don't necessarily believe that, but boy, I see a lot of, see a lot of struggles and strife after some of the, uh, the people on the higher end of the family tree are not around anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said something that I actually wrote down because um, it, it just, it struck me and I like it. Creating a system for generational wealth. You, you, I'm just quoting you there because that's something that you've spoken about on previous podcasts again. And, and again, it flashed right in my mind with this whole Clampett story. Jed was very kind hearted, pretty smart, you know, and uh, again, leaned on the banker a bit, so on and so forth. But Jethro was dumb as a stump. Let's just be honest. He's kind of more of a box of hammers kind of guy. And if you look at what what would have happened if he, and this this is never addressed in the show, but if Granny's gone and then Jed passes away, who gets the money? If it's the two kids, you know, whether he was a cousin or nephew or whoever he was, um, if it's Jed and and I can't remember her name, if it's those two, she was kind of a ditz too. I mean, she was kind of a, a bubblehead. Uh, Ellie, from what I remember Ellie May. That's right, Ellie May. Yep, Ellie May. Right when you said Ellie, Ellie May popped in my head. So th those two are not the brightest bulbs in the box, right? So if they didn't put in protections, and I think that that's uh, what a lot of family members fail to do as well, is they, they're like, I want to gift my children this, but they do it in ways that are detrimental to their kids or their grandkids. Then you've spoken about it before, so I don't want to rehash it, but that, I think that that is a, a wonderful definition of creating a system for generational wealth because if you don't have a system in, in place, if you don't have something, in place that you've worked out with, with the professionals in your arena, it could go very badly, you know, for the next generation. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking there, there's a stretch of road about 30 miles west of my office. And there's a corner where you go around. And every time I go around it, I think, damn, there should be a guardrail right there. Cause somebody mm -hmm. could like, just miss this and go down that really, really steep hill. Guardrails can be put on investments too, mm -hmm. or inheritance. Yeah. Meaning you can keep people on the path by setting certain types of restrictions or safety nets, whatever you want to call them. And professionals know how to do that. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to go super deep, but I mean, there, to your point, there's ways to, to structure, create, you know, systems, um, safety nets, all this stuff, because that's what we do every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we all get older, I think, you know, we get a little wiser, I hope. Uh, but we, you know, you and I are at a stage of our life where we're looking at our kids, possible grandkids. I've got some, I don't think you do yet. Um, or maybe that we haven't talked about that, but. Um, some are kids, some are grandkids, some are, some are here, yep. some are there. <laughs> right. You know, and so we got, it's, it's one of those things where we, we think more about the future than we did when we were 20. At 20 years old or 20, you know, two years old, I wasn't thinking about the future that much. Now I had a son at that point, so that's where I was focusing my attention, but I still didn't, I still wouldn't have probably made great decisions if I had gotten the lump of, you know, money in my, in my lap out of the blue at 22 years old. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have invested it well at all. You know what I mean? 
Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking out loud to myself, you know, would I have thought that was awesome to, to get a big pile of money at 22? Yeah. But I mean, looking back today, I'm, I'd say I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. 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 Because it would have been unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of what yeah. the rest of my life would be like. Oh, and honestly, I'm, if, if a huge pile of money fell on my lap today, if I struck oil in the backyard, trying to plant a tree or something, you know, I wouldn't even know who to call first of all. <laughs> for this oil gushing out. But, but secondly, I probably wouldn't blow any of it. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? You get to a certain yeah. point, I was like, yeah, I don't really need stuff. Yep. You, know? you need experiences. Yeah. And then that's, that's the fun part, right? Plan all that stuff out, plan, plan things for your friends and family and, and, and do it in a way that's going to give them experiences and memories and, and uh, stuff that they can talk about for years uh, yep. without blowing the entire budget in, in the first two months or three months. So, yeah. No. And yeah, I mean, everybody should just, you know, basically what it comes down to is everybody should be, you know, literate or have financial literacy, essentially, to some extent. And if they don't have it, have people that can help you. And I'm not talking about investments necessarily. I mean, you just need to be literate when it comes to, to banking and credit cards and paying your bills, you know, and so small steps in, in the right direction are progress. Yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm thinking that there are two groups of people that really need to reach out to you at this point. Um, about this podcast specifically, those that know that they're going to be inheriting something, right? Uh, uh, whether it's a, a lot or a little bit, even if it's a little bit, there's things that they can do. So people that know that they're going to be inheriting in the next you know, five to 10 years, maybe putting some things in place that'll help them. And then those that are, that know that they're going to be able to leave an inheritance. I think that's the other group that needs to kind of reach out and maybe find, you know, a, a system or help, you know, get some help creating a system for generational wealth. Like you had said, I think those two are the groups, unless you've got another group in mind. No, that, that's absolutely right. And, and the key to all of that is tax management. You know, there's a yeah, lot oh, of yes. things we can do when people are still living to structure both of those scenarios from a t smart tax standpoint. So yes, yeah. you're spot on. All right. Well, let's give them that contact info. Yeah. Give us a call here at the office. 800 657-4316. All right, Corey, this has been fantastic. I, I'm, I'm hoping that people are listening and saying, you know what, I want to start this journey on the right foot and they, they uh, reach out to you. So I appreciate the contact info and of course the time today. It was fun. I, I enjoyed it. Definitely was. Looking forward to the next one. All right. Sounds good. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to The Win Podcast with Corey Hymanson. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Corey comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hymanson Wealth Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Win Podcast. What's important now? The show that helps you achieve your financial dreams. To ask questions about topics covered during the show or get a copy of Stop Doing Dumb Things With Your Money by Corey Hymanson, visit www.hymansonwealth.com or give us a call at 712-472-3867. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc., Hymanson Wealth Advisors and Securities America are separate entities.